Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, June 23rd. I am back in Indianapolis just in time for the start of the year's third Grand Slam. The 2022 Wimbledon less than one week away from kicking off. And of course, over on our Great Shot podcast feed, we are covering the year's third Grand Slam from every angle, naming our top contenders for the men's and women's singles titles, looking at the dark horse candidates that may do damage over the next two weeks. Of course, we'll talk about the Americans. We'll get into our draw previews as that information becomes available later on as well. We have you covered so that you remain the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. All of that content, again, over on our Great Shot podcast feed. You can find the links to those podcasts on our website, crackrackets.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. Been so fortunate to be joined by guests like Dave David Gertler, David Kane, Chris Otto from Tennis Now and Tennis Majors, and we have more fantastic guests planned over the next few days, so be on the lookout for more preview content. Of course, here on this podcast, still have to look at the final week of warm-up events prior to the start of Wimbledon, and who are the players that are making a final week push? Certainly, if you followed the action in Eastbourne, in Bad Hamburg, in Mallorca, you've been treated to some spectacular tennis and certain Wednesday's round of 16 matches, today's quarterfinal battles delivered the goods once again. On today's show, I want to run through each of the events, talk about the players who have stood out. Of course, some of those names you'll hear talked about in our preview content for Wimbledon, the reason why they've stood out this week and proven that they will be in the mix at the year's third Grand Slam. Of course, if you look at the WTA ATP event in Eastbourne today, was a fantastic day of tennis. Maybe the single best match I saw was the three-set battle between Alex Diemenauer, Tommy Paul, two spectacular athletes, two guys who are able to extend rallies, play physical tennis on this surface. They were both able to do so today. It was Diemenauer in the end, 6-4 in the 30 overcomes an early third set break deficit to advance to the semifinals. Of course, Steven Howard, the defending champ in Eastbourne, him accumulating these points this week. Critical as he hopes to keep his ranking up. And look, it wasn't just Demon Hour. Cressy, Fritz, Draper, everyone in Eastbourne on the men's side delivered, of course, on the women's side. I mean, talk about an ideal semifinal weekend of action. Beatrice Haddad Maya, who has yet to lose in this 2022 grass court season. She's taking on the always dangerous and recently forgotten about Petra Kvitova, and I have pontificated on this podcast. Are we complete with the prime of Petra Kvitova? Is her being a major factor at the majors moving forward no longer in the cards? If you've watched her compete this week in Eastbourne, the answer to that question is a resounding no. I'll explain why here on today's show. Talk about why she's not the only power hitter seeing success. Ostapenko, Georgie, also thriving in Eastbourne. We'll get into all of that action. We'll look over in Bad Hamburg as well to perennial threats at the majors. Certainly Simona Halep, who, when we last saw compete at Wimbledon, won the 2019 Wimbledon title. She's into another semifinal at a warm-up event, this time via a dominant 
6-2-6-1 victory over Amanda Anisimova. You just feel like in a field of unknown, Simona Halep may be a sure thing. I'll explain why here today. I'll talk about why I'm excited for her semifinal matchup with someone I named a contender to win the 2022 Wimbledon Women's Singles Crown in Bianca Andreescu. We'll talk Cornet Garcia as well. We'll get into the ATP action in Mallorca. Certainly, I've been watching Antoine Bellier and watching a big lefty. Always fun, but to have the lack of ATP-level pedigree for Bellier now into his first tour-level semifinal. It's just been one of those grass court seasons, Van Reithoven. You've had Draper. You've had Penniston. Now it's Bellier as well. Some surprise runs during the grass court season. Always fun to see them. We'll talk about a few more of them here on today's show. Get into all the action so that, again, you are prepared to watch another championship weekend unfold on the ATP and WTA tours. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in day out here on this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you and I am always immensely grateful for the feedback we receive from each and every one of you listeners whether it be via Twitter whether it be leaving a comment in the Apple podcast comment sections whether it's again constructive criticism things you enjoy things you wish we did more of always love to hear those things you can reach out to us at Cracked Rackets I'm personally at A.L. Gruskin on Twitter of course again you can go leave those ratings wherever you listen to your podcast by leaving a review as well. Of course, another reason we're able to do these podcasts day in, day out is because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. And every Tuesday you hear from Tennis Point's Nate Walrath about the latest and greatest offerings available on tennis-point.com. Sincerely, folks, if you are going to update your equipment, and why aren't you? You've earned it. And you want to play your best out on court. You're going to feel better, whether it is more comfortable with the right racket, changing up your strength pattern or just getting better fitting or more comfortable clothing. All of that available at the best prices at tennis-point.com. When you're there, use our promo code CR15 with your purchase. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, symbol not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of the that said, let's get into it. Who is making a final week push before Wimbledon begins? Let's start on the women's side. It feels like there are more valuable players in play still this week on the WTA Tour, particularly when you look at the action that's unfolded in Eastbourne. I mentioned those semifinal matches. Beatrice Haddad Maya has yet to lose a grass court match here in 2022. She advances to the semifinals via a withdrawal from Lisa Tsarenko, and now she's probably going to face her toughest test of this grass court season. Certainly, you look for Haddad Maya, a win over Maria Sakkari. She's beaten a Simone a Halep and Ali Risk. Probably that Ali Risk matchup, the most impressive of the trio. But uh, now she's going to get a rematch with a player she beat earlier in this grass court season in Petra Kvitova. Haddad Maya knocked off Kvitova 6-2 and two in the first round of Birmingham last week. Of course, Haddad Maya goes on to win the title. You look for Petra Kvitova. This is her second week of play 
on the grass courts. She's been exceptional, dropping just one set, a 7-5 first set in her round of 16 to Katie Bolter. Ultimately, she takes the next two, 6-love, 7-5. Today, another definitive victory over a frisky Harriet Dart, who I named as one of my dark horse candidates. Dart, 25 years old, 103 in the world. She's getting into the main draw of Wimbledon, I believe, via a wild card, if not on her own ranking at this point. Uh, But you look for Dart, who made a quarterfinal in Nottingham, who got knocked off in the Birmingham round of 16 by Simona Halep, now into another quarterfinal in Eastbourne. She's been one of the 25 best players in this one-month grass court sprint, and Petra Kvitova hit her off the court today. Kvitova dominant on serve. She landed 75% of those first serves, won 73% of her first serve points, two-thirds of her second serve points, was not broken on the day and faced only one break point, and you look for her this week. That's been the key. Through three matches, Petra Kvitova has been broken just twice on serve, and we know Petra Kvitova has one of those serves. I, you know, pejoratively and affectionately referred to her as a member of It Up Club, where she just has that ability when she's playing well and her power tennis is clicking, for lack of a better term, she's just going to it up in the draw. She's capable of playing on her terms, beating whomever it is that is across the net from her. You look for Petra Kvitova for her career in terms of her hold percentage, 75.2%. 75.2% amongst top 50 players this season would currently rank uh 10th, excuse me, overall. And right now, the 10th place player, Barbara Krachikova, has a 75.2% serve. So perennially, she is a top 10 server. And again, that's her career hold percentage average in her best seasons. She can obviously be better than that. It's going to take that sort of performance on serve for Petra Kvitova to thrive at this point of her career. You look for Kvitova overall here now in this 2022 season. She's been solid overall on the year. I mean, Certainly, there were some ups and downs during the clay court season, but you look for overall in 2022, 13 and 13 overall. That includes quarterfinals for her in Dubai, quarterfinals for her in Miami, two places where obviously she has had success. And, you know, in Miami, she's knocked out by Iga Svantec, the eventual champion of the event. In Dubai, she's knocked out 7-6 and a third by Yelena Ostapenko, the eventual champion in the event. Now, certainly... The Grand Slams for her have been disappointing this season. Losses to Kirstea first round, Gavrilova second round. Look, I mean, we are not that far removed, and I make this point in our Dark Horse podcast with Chris Otto from Petra Kvitova being very much in the mix for the most significant titles on tour. Obviously made the final of the 2019 Australian Open, quarterfinals in uh, the 2020 Australian Open, semifinals of the 2020 French Open, and it felt like after her run to the Dubai uh, Doha title, excuse me, last season, quarterfinals in Madrid for her, it felt like she would be in the mix at Roland Garros before. Unfortunately, she's injured and, you know, uh, forced to withdraw from her second round match after slipping in the press conference that kind of stalled her momentum and you know while she had a decent run down the end of the home stretch third round U.S. Open lost to Sakari and you know semifinals Ostrava lost to a very much informed Conteve quarterfinals Cincinnati loses to Kerber she was fine but she wasn't exceptional she wasn't threatening for the biggest titles in the sport here's the thing you have to remember and I have prefaced this on just about Every podcast we've done during this grass court season, a lot of the young talents on the WTA Tour just haven't played that many grass court matches in their careers. Obviously, that's not the case 
for Petra Kvitova. Kvitova, a two-time Wimbledon champion. Now her last title at Wimbledon came in 2014, the last time she made the quarterfinals or further at Wimbledon happened to be that 2014 event, but made the round of 16 at Wimbledon as recently as uh, 2019. And, you know, while she lost first round last season, she wasn't at her fittest coming off of that injury at the French Open. And again, if you've watched her this week, yes, the first set against Bolter was shaky, but for the most part, she has served particularly well. And tall lefties, that's what we're learning, men's or women's side. Haddad Maya, Kvitova, Bellier, Draper, all of these play. you know, again, big first serves, plus one tennis, put at a premium here on grass courts. Leftiness helps as well because you put players in uncomfortable positions on the court. It's just a little bit more difficult to recover out of those corners than it typically is on a clay court or on a hard court. Petra Kvitova has always had weapons. She's now fit. She's confident. You look for Kvitova in her career, 62-21 and 21 on grass court. She's won 75% of her matches with an 83-match sample size. Special. Absolutely special. 33 and 11. She is in her career at Wimbledon. Uh, Patrick Kvitova, 31 in the ranking. She's going to be a lower seed at this event. We don't have the draws available. That sounds like a dark horse to me, particularly following this semifinal run. Kvitova playing better tennis down this grass court home stretch. And that's a tough draw match, number one. You lose to Haddad Maya, first match of the grass court season. It, You know, in the moment, you feel like that's a match Kvitova has to win. But again, Adan Maya has not lost a grass court match. It's the third time I've said it. Take a shot. Hey, great shot to that statement. I'm excited for the rematch. Kvitova is serving better now. You look for Kvitova in that match against Haddad Maya uh, when they played again just one week ago. Kvitova makes just uh, 59% of her first serve. She's been over 63% for the duration of this week, made 75% of her first serves today. Again, she's just in better rhythm than she was going into that first grass court match. So this is going to be an exciting battle, and I'm looking forward to tuning into that match tomorrow. Now, you're asking me the keys to the match. Kvitova certainly has the power advantage, and she's going to have to make her first serve at this continued 63% clip that she's shown, if not better, this week because Hadad Maya puts that sort of pressure on you. She uses her length extraordinarily well, puts, you know, about at least 60% of her returns in play and is very good at turning neutral into offense. She, you know, Hadad Maya, a fellow lefty, obviously going to be able to, you know, match forehand to forehand with Petra Kvitova. And you look for Hadad Maya in her career. I'm actually curious. And shout out to our friends at Tennis Abstract who make this answer available to us. She's 34 and 22 in her career against lefties. Obviously has just beaten Kvitova as recently as last week. And, you know, again, that's because... While Haddad Maya can't quite match Kvitova's power tennis, Kvitova, a member of Serena Williams' power tennis country club, Haddad Maya will continue to put pressure on you. Haddad Maya will attack plus one opportunity. She'll look to hit big from the baseline, move forward behind it as well, take time away from you. And even the best versions of Petra Kvitova have never been the best on the stretch in the outer thirds of the court. The question is, can Kvitova continue to maintain the pressure on Haddad Maya with her first serve that 
you know, it's not going to matter that Haddad Maya can turn defense into offense because when Petra Kvitova is playing her best offense, that offense is elite. Again, that's probably your matchup of the day tomorrow, men's or women's side, and there are a lot of good ones, but this is a fantastic litmus test for the contendership status of Petra Kvitova entering the 2022 Wimbledon. Of course, on the flip side, you've got Yelena Ostapenko taking on Camilla Georgie, one-to-one in the career head-to-head between those two, and I think this is not a novel take here on the Mini Break Podcast I'm offering when I say we all know Yelena Ostapenko, who is a resident of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. When she is on, she can be exceptional. You look for Ostapenko here in the 2022 season played. Some of the best tennis we saw all year long during the Middle East stretch earlier this year where she, of course, beats Iga Sviantek, the last player to do so. Beats her 7-6 in the third on her way to the title in Dubai. Follows that up with wins over Anisimova, Krachikova, Muguruza before getting knocked out in the Doha semifinals from Kontave, uh, by Kontave. Now, she's struggled since then. It was a miserable clay court season for her. Certainly, she earned only one win during that stretch. Only played three clay court tournaments and certainly a disappointing loss for her in three sets to Alizé Cornet. She's been solid during this grass court season. Three set loss, 7-5 in the third to Diana Yastremska in Birmingham uh, either last week or two weeks ago. Excuse me, that was last week. If you watched that match, now... There's a ceiling in terms of what you can see in any Elena Ostapenko match because she does run hot and cold because she's not a grinder out there. She's going to go for her shots. She's going to play power tennis. She possesses that sort of elite power when, you know, if she gets a clean look on the return of serve, you're just in trouble. And right now, Elena Ostapenko, in terms of top 50 players on the WTA Tour, Ostapenko's 10th in break percentage, 39.9% on the season. When she's connecting, you're just losing because that backhand down the line is exceptional. Uh, obviously, when she can get a full swing and her weight moving forward behind that forehand, you're just getting hit off the court. And credit to Yastremska, who was able to match that power, flash her elite athleticism as well. Again, that was, as Ostapenko matches go, as exciting and athletic and physical as you're going to see. And I thought Ostapenko played good tennis throughout the course of that match. Now, she's played much cleaner tennis throughout the course of this week into the Eastbourne semifinals. Of course, Ostapenko won the Eastbourne title last season, and obviously those points valuable, particularly given the lack of points being offered at Wimbledon. You look for Ostapenko this week. She's yet to drop a set. And while she was certainly the beneficiary of a withdrawal from Madison Keys, who aggravated an ab injury in the round of 16, Ostapenko's played two players in Talmianovic and Kalanina in the round of 32 in quarterfinals who do present physical challenges, who are able to extend rallies, who are able to scrap themselves out of corners at least as well as humanly possible on this surface, but who also have very attackable serves. And to Ostapenko's credit, she has been light out. On the return of serve this week, you look for Ostapenko, earns four breaks today on 11 break point chances, but won 74% of her second serve points. You look for uh, Ostapenko against Tomjanovic, only won 44% of her total return points, but was four or five, so efficient on her uh, opportunities to break serve. And then Ostapenko served pretty well this week. She's landing the first serve with high amounts of success. Now, the double fault count has gotten up, and that's a testament to her being more aggressive, understanding, look, I'm not going to track down a big return of serve on this surface because 
even in her best days, Ostapenko's not the best of movers. And obviously that lack of fluidity is amplified on this surface more than any else. But man, the weapons Ostapenko possesses. And right now she has the thing which makes her most dangerous is confidence. Heading into Wimbledon now with these wins under her belt again has just played such rock solid tennis. But she's going to face her most powerful opponent of the tournament, someone who can absolutely get her on her back foot in Camilla Georgie. And, you know, for the record, Ostapenko, a track record of grass court success. I mentioned 36 and 17 overall. Ostapenko is uh, for her career on grass, has made a Wimbledon semifinal back in 2018, made the quarterfinals as well back in 2017. You look at tennis abstracts, grass court specific ELO ratings. Ostapenko currently eighth in those grass court specific ELO ratings. Hadad Maya, by the way, currently sitting at 10th. Petra Kvitova currently sitting at 12th. Camilla Georgie is not quite in that range, but Camilla Georgie currently uh, is inside the top 25, with Georgie currently sitting at number 25 in those grass court ELO ratings. And look, Georgie's 52 and 28 in her career on grass courts, made a Wimbledon quarterfinal back in 2018 as well. And, I mean, is the sort of player who has those FE weapons where just in a moment's notice, she can hit, you know, again, be lights out and just get the ball by you, explode a winner past you when you least expected. She's been extraordinarily consistent this week, has not had a lot of success landing the first serve, but has been extraordinarily aggressive behind it, winning over 70% of her first serve points in each of her matches. And, you know, she's another player. The double fault counts have gotten up. That's because she just understands if I hit a standard second serve, I'm not winning the point anyways. She's been really aggressive on the return of serve. And of course, that's where Georgie runs hot and cold. You look for Camilla Georgie, 35% break percentage for her career. That number uh, would be below the average of top 50 players. Top 50 players averaging 36.6% break percentage. Georgie right now uh, amongst top 50 players currently ranks 40th in break percentage. But she's striking the ball cleanly this week. She's remained extraordinarily disciplined. And again, she moves pretty well in and out of corners, that low center of gravity helping her change direction. She's very much an anticipation mover as well. And that anticipation particularly rewarded on this surface. I've liked how Georgie played. And again, for both of these players who run on confidence, who are trying to play big, this is a fun head-to-head semifinal in Eastbourne. One-to-one career head-to-head in the matchup between uh, Yelena Ostapenko and Camilla Georgie. Now, you look in their career head-to-head, they have matched up on a grass court before. Ostapenko, a 5-5 and victory over Georgie in the 2017 Wimbledon. Georgie beat Ostapenko on hard courts back in 2016, but haven't played in five years. A lot has changed in those five years. It's going to be an exciting power uh, tennis matchup. And that first set, extraordinarily valuable in a matchup that is dependent on confidence. So I'm looking forward to that one. I still do think, despite that fact, it's going to go three sets. Going to be a fun day on the women's side in Eastbourne. No doubt about that. And all of those players, Georgie, uh, you look again in someone in Ostapenko, Haddad Maya, Kvitova, you just feel like they could all be significant at Wimbledon coming up. And so that's why who's making a final push feels like the relevant question to address on today's podcast. And let's look at the Bad Hamburg results to look at the identify, I should say, the other players making that sort of push. 
probably have to start with Simona Halep, who I have not done a good enough job selling this week. The track record of success Simona Halep has accumulated on grass courts for her career. Now you look for Simona Halep overall at the WTA level in her career. She's been extraordinary. uh, 458-190. and She has a 71% win percentage overall in over 600 career matches. That's just absolutely ridiculous. You look for her on grass courts specifically. Simona Halep, 43-17, and 72% win percentage. And for Simona Halep, now dating back to the start of the 2019 Wimbledon, she's won, what, 13 of her past 14 matches on grass courts. And certainly you look for her, a three-set loss to Haddad Maya in Birmingham. Simona Halep's second serve was particularly attackable in that match, but I would not qualify that as a bad loss, given the success Haddad Maya has had this season. We talked about Halep extensively in that preview uh, podcast. She was somehow in the dark dark horse category when she should have been in the contender category, thus me acknowledging an unforced error on my part. She should be in the contender conversation, and she was dominant today, proving why in a 6-2-6-1 victory that was not quite as clean as the scoreline may suggest over the always dangerous power-hitting Amanda Anisimova, the thing that was most impressive for Simona Halep today. Ten aces won 24 of 28 points behind her first serve, and whenever she was down break points, and she only faced three of them in this match. But whenever she was, she found a big first serve to get Anisimova stretched into the outer third of the courts behind. And that's what Simona Halep does so well. She hits targets so perfectly. And, you know, wherever Anisimova wasn't, that's where Halep was playing the ball too. And Halep was so efficient at taking the Anisimova serve on the rise, attacking that ball early, and just, again, getting Anisimova stretched, not allowing her to set her feet. And the reason I say this match was closer than the scoreline suggests is Anisimova did have some chances. She had the three break points, and, you know, she was able to fight off a couple of break points that she faced on her own serve but Simona helped her credit five of eight on break point chances. Still, there were competitive points where Anisimova was able to land a first strike, and that's where Simona Halep is so special. She, like a Coco Goff, like an Own Jabour, and very likely like an Iga Sviantek, on that short list of players who can play physical tennis on a grass court surface. She's just that fluid in the outer thirds of the court, and because of that fluidity, because of the athleticism, the strength she possesses, she's able to find depth. She's able to make you uncomfortable, hit to where you're not when she is on, where you are not. Excuse me, when she is on the stretch. I have been impressed by how fit Simona Halep has been, and you look for Simona Halep here uh, this season. She is one of just two players alongside of Iga Sviantek to rank uh, top 10 in both hold and break percentage, according to Tennis Abstract. You look for Halep, 39-13 and 13 overall in her last 52 weeks, 26-8. and eight. She's winning 76% uh, of her matches here this season. You look for Halep, hold percentage, break percentage-wise. She's holding 76.1% of the time. That's 5.8% above her career average and speaks to, again, the first serve, the plus-one tennis, has become more of a weapon for her at this stage of her career, at least particularly this season. The first serve has been trending up for her over the past three years. It has been maximized this year. She's also breaking 48.6% of the time, which is 1.9% above her career average. And again, I believe that number is certainly top 10. I believe it's number three, yeah, on the WTA Tour. 
Now, it does feel as though the elite players who possess that elite power, whether it be Iga Sviantek or, you know, some of the other players she's fallen to throughout the course of the year, it does feel like that physicality can no longer bail her out of matches the way it was able to, say, two, three years ago. That said, Halep has developed additional weapons. She, I do think, has taken a step inside the baseline with her aggression, and she still is, at the very least, 94% of the athlete that she was in 2019, if not, again, right there where she always was. And yes, Simona Halep's been a part of our lives for a while, but Simona Halep doesn't turn 31 years old until the end of September, very much at the end, if not still in the midst of her prime. And again, has just been rock solid on the grass courts this season. Just feels like a sure thing. You're going to have to play extraordinary tennis to knock her off. And how many players in the WTA draw are capable of playing extraordinary grass court tennis? Not extraordinary tennis, extraordinary grass court tennis. We just don't know the answer to that question. And so certainly the certainty of Simona Halep, something to look forward to at Wimbledon. Uh, and look, I mean, again, I talk about players, if you have those elite weapons being able to push Simona Halep, she's facing someone with an elite weapon in Bianca Andreescu tomorrow, both of these players on the short list of contenders. And you look for Andreescu, who now, including qualifying results, 12-8 and eight in her career on grass courts. Andreescu and Kyrgios have had some similar there's been some similarities between their two seasons. Here what I mean here's what I mean by that. Have we seen each of them for the most this year? No, we haven't. When we have seen each of these players, they've been pretty impressive. You look for Bianca Andrescu, and I talked about this in our Contenders podcast and our Dark Horse podcast, so I won't repeat myself too much here, but the losses this year are Sabalenka, Pagula, Sviantek, Bencic, and Pliskova. There's not a bad name on that list, particularly given the Pliskova loss was 7-6 in the third, 9-7 in the third set tiebreaker on the grass courts. And, you know, there was a point where, what, Andrescu won 17 consecutive points or whatever it was on serve in that match. She dominated Daria Kasakina today. And Kasakina, with all due respect, who was very frisky in the first set, and the match was closer than the 4-1 scoreline indicated, but the match was just exclusively on Bianca Andreescu's terms. It just took so much additional effort for Daria Kasatkina to be able to be the aggressor, be able to play with uh, the sort of plus one tennis and the sort of, you know, again, dictating of terms style you need to be successful on this surface. And that's because Andreescu has FU sort of power. She When she steps up into that backhand return, uh, you're just in trouble. And her ability to find the short angles, her ability to play the slice, her willingness to move forward, hit the swinging volley, hit the standard volley, her comfort hitting overheads, the power behind her first serve. Andrescu today on serve, you know, uh, fights off four of six break points she faced. She won, wins about uh, 60% of her points on serve for the match and took advantage of her break point opportunities, took advantage of every sitting Kasakina kick serve that was available to her. You know, Kasakina is an extraordinary athlete, another player on the short list, maybe not tier one, but tier one and a half, tier two of movers on a grass court. It didn't matter because Andreescu's weapons were that big. She gets a better version of that tomorrow in Simona Halp. Another fantastic litmus test to see just how fit Bianca Andreescu is, just how prepared she is to go to war at Wimbledon uh, this season. And that match, you know, again, 
I said Haddad Maya versus Kvitova might be the most important match of the day. I am rescinding that and saying it's Halep Andreescu. I am ecstatic for that match tomorrow in Bad Hamburg. I don't mean to breeze over our other two semifinalists because shout out to Alize Cornet, who has been rock solid this week. Straight set win over Tatiana Maria, uh, straight set win over Anna Kalinskaya, then a three set victory today over Angelique Kerber. I mean, Alize Cornet is another one of those players who just will certainly be in the mix at Wimbledon. Now, she's number 44 in the world right now, but you look uh, for Cornet in her career on grass courts, 27 and 34 overall, uh, but has made a third round at, uh, excuse me, a fourth round at Wimbledon in her career back in 2014, knocked out Serena Williams, of course, that season in the third round. And I mean, again, has at least played 60-plus matches on the surface and physically is just a tough out. Now, I do think the right sort of power tennis player could blitz her off the court, but Alizé Cornet is always in the mix, and you look for Cornet this season. Uh, she's 25-25 and 25 overall in her last 52 weeks, 12-14 and 14 here this year, but had a particularly tough clay court season, obviously made her first slam quarterfinal in Australia. All of these slams valuable, as she has indicated. She's not sure how many years she has left on tour, so going to be a fun matchup between her and Caroline Garcia, of course, big semifinal for Caroline Garcia, second of the season, and you look for Garcia as she tries to build herself back up in the rankings. Garcia ranked as high as number four back in 2019. She's currently 66th uh, right now in the WTA uh, live rankings, and you know, has been successful behind the first serve. She's won over 78% of her first serve points on the week. Fought off all 12 break points she faced in today's 6-3-7-6 victory over Sabine Lasicki. You look for uh, Caroline Garcia in her career in grass court matches. Garcia 40-24 and 24 overall. Won the title in Nottingham back in 2019 and you know you look for her in terms of her success at Wimbledon has played you know the event multiple times 11 and 10 overall has reached the fourth round all the way back in 2017 confidence is key and she sure certainly will have that that'll be a fun match between her and Cornet tomorrow and again given the no points offered at Wimbledon critical for Garcia to get that semifinal under her belt put herself in the mix to play the Cincinnati's and Canada's of the world in this hard court summer with all of that said that is your WTA action going on this week. Your players are live still heading towards another championship weekend. Let's flip gears now. Look at the ATP Tour action, and we'll go over to Eastbourne. Start there. I mean, look, I said the WTA had more relevant players in the mix. That's because given Iga Svantec's 7-5 record on grass courts in her career, if Iga loses— Everything is unexpected after that, right? And you start to put on a short list of players who at least have some sort of track record of success or eye test-wise are playing well enough to be in the mix. On the men's side, everyone's got to get through Novak. Everyone's got to get through Rafa. And after that, given his success, just three losses on grass since 2019, everyone's probably got to get through Berrettini. There's a more established hierarchy on the men's side, unequivocally. That said, you look at the players who will be in the mix. 
come this 2022 Wimbledon certainly feels a bit uncertain, particularly given Daniil Medvedev, who you just feels like feel like is going to be a staple in the second week of Wimbledon moving forward. A guy in Karen Hatchinov, who every time he's played Wimbledon, he's made at least the third round, was a quarterfinalist last year, a staple at Wimbledon. Even a guy like Rublev, who's had success on grass courts in his career. All of those guys are absent as such. Certainly, who's going to fill out the second week? That's the big question. That's why I'm really looking forward to our ATP Dark Horse conversation because I do think this draw is wide open. Look at what we've seen on the grass courts. Van Reithoven, Draper, Penniston, Antoine Bellier. Unexpected, you know, the success of people like Dennis Kudla's and the Mackie McDonald's over the years. Uh, Yuri Veshley's made some unexpected runs. Unexpected things happen on the grass courts when you have that, when you are six foot six and are a big lefty or a big righty and have that dominant first serve. That skill set particularly amplified on this surface. That was part, that was pretty much the story, I would say, of quarterfinal day in Eastbourne. And I know I mentioned Demon Hour over Tommy Paul was the best match of the day, in my opinion, at the start of this podcast. But the place we have to start when talking about the ATP event in Eastbourne is with Maxime Cressy, who's been exceptional this weekend. Is it Max Cressy? Is it Oscar Ota on court? I don't know. When they both play well, they look awfully similar. And look, for Max Cressy, six foot six starts with the first serve. Cressy, 10 aces today, made 68% of his first serves, won 80% of his first serve points, was up an early break on Nori, did give that break back in the first set, but, you know, only faced three break points, fought off two of them throughout the course of today's match, hit 30 winners against 14 unforced errors. That means he hit 20 winners from the ground today or at the net, and he was 39 of 53 at the net was Maxime Cressy. It's old school grass court tennis, serve and volley, hit the chip return, follow it in, just put as much pressure from a physical standpoint, from a movement perspective on his opponent as possible. And look, it's been a hell of a run for Cressy on the grass courts. Yes, he lost to Dom Stricker in qualifying of Stuttgart to start the season, but A, he was only broken once in that match. B, the young lefty Stricker, in my opinion, one of the most talented young players on the ATP Tour. He then goes to Halle qualifying. You know, gets through qualifying, but for a first set, three set loss to Hoopy Hercots, who goes on to win Hala and, you know, for Cressy in that match, fights off 10 of 12 break points. Hercots, one of your top five contenders for the Wimbledon title. Uh, Cressy plays him essentially even in a grass court match. Then this week in Eastbourne, Cressy wins over Opelka, Evans, and Cam Norrie. He's been broken twice in three matches and for Max Cressy again it's just the relentlessness with which he executes his game plan Cressy's going to do what Cressy's going to do and look at six foot six he's surprisingly fluid surprisingly mobile now not the best on the run with his ground strokes but if you challenge that on the run backhand he's he's fluid willing and capable of being decisive with his passing shot, did an exceptional job of just dipping that first backhand low at the feet as a pass towards Cam Nori, forcing hit to pop it up. And then look again, Cressy, fluid as a six foot six athlete, has that additional length. He's going to get a clean look at the second pass. And that's, you know, 
an easy shot for every top 100 player to execute if they create it for themselves. So I just love the decisiveness of Max Cressy. When indecisiveness is the thing singly, singularly perhaps most punished on a grass court, if you chip a ball or you play a neutral ball, you're on your back foot right away. And being on your back foot is so difficult for anyone not named Alex Diemenauer on a grass court or Novak Djokovic, of course. Uh, Maxime Cressy just puts that sort of pressure on you. And again, played an exceptional level of tennis against Cam Nori, who continued to scrap, continued to claw, did work his way back from a break in the first set, but Cressy just kept attacking, and, you know, in the three biggest moments of the match, when he was able to earn his breaks of serve, two in set number one, one in set number two, it came on the back of successful passing shots to create the break point chances, and look, all Cressy needs is one look because of how well he protects that first serve. He looks for Max Cressy this season, even in the dip since the tw- uh, the first start of a uh, month of the season. He's holding 88.3% of his time, uh, time at the ATP level. That number amongst top 50 players would rank fourth behind, uh, excuse me, fifth, sixth, final answer behind Kyrgios, Isner, Opelka, Hercots, and Berrettini. It's a fun list to be on as a server, and certainly, again, Maxime Cressy. Is he the American you're most confident about entering the 2022 Wimbledon? That's a discussion we can have as we look at the event. Of course, Cressy, with his win now, gets all the way up in the live rankings to a new career high of number 52. Maxime Cressy, again, was pretty much the last player on the UCLA roster his freshman season, works his way up to a one-loss senior season, and... Uh, you know, NCAA doubles champ senior season now number 52 in the live rankings. College tennis, folks, pathway to the pros. But look, for Max Cressy tomorrow, it's going to be a tough test. He's going to face a big server, Jack Draper. We read, you know, Draper, who has been one of the most promising young talents throughout the course of his career, 35 and 15 in his last 52 weeks, 30 and 7 this year with a couple of ATP challenger titles. He reached an ATP quarterfinal last year on the grass courts. But look, he's into his first ATP semifinal of his career, knocking off Ryan Penniston today, 6-3-6-3. Draper's yet to drop a set this week, wins over Brooksby, Schwartzman, and Penniston. You look for Jack Draper, and I always like to think this sort of perspective is worth keeping in mind, and I have to give a shout-out, as always, to one of the many fantastic Twitter accounts, but one of my favorites, Ariel Fernandez at AFD7L. Yannick Sinner, Juan Manuel Sarundalo, Brandon Nakashima, Yuri Lachetchka, Jack Draper. That's the list of players born in 2001 to have reached an ATP semifinal. Again, Sinner, Sarundalo, Nakashima, Lachetchka, Draper. It's a good list for the 20-year-old to be on. And, of course, he will be the last player in 2021 as Draper born December of 2001. The lefties just got game, and it starts with the serve. You look for Jack Draper. He's holding 94.1% of the time at the ATP Challenger level. That number translated to the ATP Tour, which, of course, you can't do given the level of competition. But if translated, 94.1 would be number one on the ATP Tour, and that's an all-time serving season. Now, for his career, he's held 88.2% of the time at the Challenger level, which, again, he's not even 21 years old. That's ridiculous. But in his 
you know, 40 plus, but under 50 ATP tour matches. He's held 87.1% of the time. That lefty serve ability to hit the slice out wide into the body on the deuce side, hit the out wide on the deuce as well. You know, that combination with the action he's able to generate on his plus one forehand. When he gets his weight behind that ball, how heavy he hits it. It's a top spin based lefty forehand. The whip on that ball, the elevation he's able to generate, the depth, the angle. That's the exceptional shot. That's the moneymaker, certainly. But what I really enjoy is the weight behind his backhand. A, when you listen to him make contact, it's just a popping sound that is thoroughly enjoyable for any tennis fan. I like the depth he's able to generate. Yeah, that ball stays flat, but he hits that ball deep, and he always gets his weight moving forward through that shot. Now, he's fluid in his corners, and he's capable of slicing off that wing. He's comfortable moving forward as well. There is so much to like about the 20-year-old, and he will absolutely be on my list of dark horses entering this 2022 Wimbledon. You look for Jack Draper, the 20-year-old, with his success this season now firmly inside the top 100, new career high, number 94 in the live rankings with his success, perhaps most notably Jack Draper, number 48th in the points race this season. He's been a top 50 player this year, folks. The eye test say it, the results say it. Keep an eye out for the 20-year-old Brit Jack Draper. And I'll tell you what, nothing gets a Wimbledon crowd excited like a home countryman having success. I think they're going to have opportunities in the future, if not this year, certainly moving forward to get excited about 20-year-old Jack Draper. And again, Draper, Cressy, Power Tennis. It's going to be a fun matchup tomorrow in Eastbourne, as will the matchup between Alex Demonauer and Taylor Fritz. Certainly, you look uh, for Demonauer, who won the Eastbourne title last season. Again, was just spectacular in a three-set victory over Tommy Paul for Demonauer today. 6-2-4-6-6-4 victory. Match was as physical as the scoreline would suggest. I mean, these guys played two hours, 20 minutes of grass court tennis and you look for both guys you know demon hour inefficient 26 winners against 18 unforced errors seven aces for him on the day won 69 percent of his first serve points 53 percent of the second serve fought off six of nine break point chances that he faced he's just magical on the run absolutely magical and he paralyzes you moving forward because he's going to track down the passing shot and you never know where he's going to go for it his ability to extend rallies again Djokovic Medvedev him that's probably the list of elite move and Rafa, of course, the list of elite movers on the ATP tour on a grass court. It's just special. I mean, again, go watch the the highlights. If not, watch the of the complete match. Go watch the highlights on YouTube. It's a magical third set. I mean, Tommy came up with the goods as well. Tommy, again, a renewed aggression. I just don't remember him being this assertive with his ground strokes from a neutral position on the baseline. This match was extraordinary. You look for Demon Hour, who certainly needs this sort of success, uh, given he hasn't had the best 2022 season. You look for Alex Demon Hour overall. He's 29 and 26 in his last 52, 24 and 14 this year, but you know, again, I guess he has been pretty solid throughout the course of the year, but what's the breakthrough result for him? Demon Hour's only made now, you know, two semifinals, four quarterfinals, and 14 total events. You'd probably expect a little bit more for Demon Hour at age 23, but, you know, he's held steady, been top 30 guy now for three, four years. That's extraordinarily difficult to do, and again, that 
physicality just puts him in position to compete. You look for Demon Hour overall uh, in terms of what he's done, you know, in terms of the development. We've seen the hold percentage up to 78% this season, which is, you know, 0.9 below his uh, career average, but he has an outlier 84.1% season from 2019 that really stands out above the field. That 80, uh, 78% better than four of his six full-time ATP Tour level seasons. You know, the break percentage 28.5. That's a career high for Alex Diemenauer, and you look for him, his first serve win percentage, uh, excuse me, for yeah, first serve win percentage, second serve win percentage. They're trending upwards as well. Diemenauer does continue to improve, even if the results don't always say as much and for Demon Hour again hasn't made a final since Eastbourne last season into the semifinals Demon Hour 4-1 to career had to had advantage over Taylor Fritz including a win over Fritz on grass courts back at the Surbiton Challenger in 2018 2-4 excuse me Taylor Fritz against Demon Hour for their careers Fritz has won the last two wins at last year's U.S. Open a three-set 7-6 third in the uh, at Indian Wells on his way to his first Masters title earlier this season this is a fun matchup, fun contrast of styles. Fritz gets to dictate with his power tennis from the baseline, and Fritz finally looks healthy, fit, swinging away. Good victory for him today over Sasha Bublik in straights. Again, the perfect contrast, the power tennis of Fritz against the athleticism of Alex Diemenauer. 4-2 career head-to-head for Diemenauer. That is going to be an extraordinary match, and it should be a fun day of tennis in Mallorca, uh, excuse me, in Eastbourne, you can tell I'm already skipping ahead in my brain because the last event I want to talk about here on today's show is the action unfolding in Mallorca. Certainly some surprise semifinalists, and this place we have to start is with Antoine Bellier. You look for Antoine Bellier, who was an alternate into qualifying in this event, earned a 7-6 in the third victory over Rosencrantz just to get into the event. He's now beaten Delbon. He's beaten Carino Busta. He's beaten Greek Spore to not only reach his first quarterfinal at the ATP level, reach his first semifinal at the ATP level as well. But again, you look for Antoine Bellier. This was his first ATP main draw he has played in his career. He's into the semifinals in it. And if you have not seen the 25-year-old play before, tall lefty came into the week named number 303 in the world. Again, life-changing sort of week for him. Now up to number 215. Going to get to play slam qualifying probably at the 2022 U.S. Open. I mean, you look at the numbers for him this season, uh, this week. He saved 14 of 14 break points against Carreno Busta. 7 of 8 today against Greece Sport. He's been broken twice in three matches. He's won over 80% of his first serve points in all three of the matches he's played. Tall lefty who likes to serve and volley, likes to move forward, likes to play the backhand slice and, you know, play the half volley off that wing and then, you know, come over the top of it as well. And, you know, the forehand's a little bit flatter. I'd almost compare him to an Ali Van Utvink, the lefty version on the men's side, a little bit more pop on the serve comparatively to the field. But, man, is he fun to watch. Just, you know, fluid, lanky. Uh, I mean, it's crazy because you look for Bellier here who had won his first challenger title earlier this season back in April, but in his career at the ATP challenger level, he's played 17 matches. He's 8-9. 17 total matches. Has made two quarter uh, finals or further. Obviously, the one title at the challenger level. Now has an ATP semifinal under his belt. Van Reithoven, Peniston, Bellier, Draper. What a grass court season. This has been, and again, Bellier today just 
came up with the goods, was relentlessly aggressive, much like Van Reithoven in week number one, is playing like he has nothing to lose because he has nothing to lose. And again, for Bellier now 215 in the live ranking. Should he somehow win his match tomorrow uh, against Roberto Bautista Agud, he will jump all the way up to number 171 in the live rankings. 170, you're not worrying about getting into challengers anymore. It's again, even at 217, he's not worried about getting into challengers anymore. This is a 215. It's a life-changing result for the 25-year-old. And in the modern day, you know, again, when primes are extended, careers can be elongated. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, particularly a guy with the frame, the length of a Bellier. Uh, obviously, a grass court is going to accentuate his skills, but boy, oh boy, has he been exciting this weekend. Now he's going to take on a guy in Roberto Bautista Gut, obviously his toughest grass court test today. Bautista Gut just two rock solid today. Daniil Medvedev couldn't hurt him. Bautista Gut, a 3-2 and two victory over the world, number one. And the on-the-run forehand for Bautista Gut, I mention it every time I talk about him. It's just special. His ability to hit that ball down the line, to bait you into challenge again before he passes you with his on-the-run cross-court magic, the steadiness of his backhand, his ability to hit his spots. You just feel like he might sleepwalk into the Wimbledon round of 16. He's that rock solid and was as much today against Daniil Medvedev. You look for RBA overall on the day, you know, won uh, 74% of his first serves, made 78% of them on the day, fought off the one break point that he faced, 15 winners against nine unforced errors, an efficient 13 of 18 at the net. You know, Medvedev was certainly a little bit flat, and he's played a ton of tennis over the past three weeks, and he made finals in consecutive weeks as well, which good for him. Defends some points, gives him some momentum heading into, obviously, a critical summer for the defending U.S. Open champ. But, man, uh, Robbie Vath's just a sure thing. You know, RBA is, what, always in the top 20 of the rankings. 34-year-old still holding firm at number 19. Great week for him. You know, he's the favorite now to capture this tournament, certainly. And I know number two seed Stefano Tsitsipas still alive. And he has looked more and more confident. The, the authoritativeness of his serve, of his plus one forehand, his willingness to move forward. The backhand errors are going to come. They're going to be frustrating. But his steadiness through that and his relentless aggression, he's just finding his footing, pun intended, because of how difficult it is on this surface. Impressive win for him over the always athletic, dangerous Marcos Giron. Great week for UCLA tennis, of course, in Giron and Cressy. But Tsitsipas looked great. Benjamin Bonzi continues to be rock solid. Just, again, a tough out. One of those tough athletes to knock out and can play physical tennis on this surface. He earns a 3-4 and four win over Altmaier. You know, again, all guys in the mix here. Confidence going to be key heading into Wimbledon. These guys had it, have it here in Majorca. And, you know, again, Tsitsipas 1-0 career head-to-head against Bonesy. First career matchup between Bautista, Goot, and Bellier. According to the Tennis Abstract projection, RBA, 45% of win chance of winning the tournament. Tsitsipas, 35.4. So they agree with my anecdotal suggestion that RBA is indeed the favorite uh, to capture the title in Mallorca. But with that in mind, that's who's making a final week push here in the final week of ATP and WTA Tour play before the 2022 Wimbledon begins. Of course, as I mentioned at the top, for all of your Wimbledon preview content, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. You can find links to those episodes on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the 
of editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic Daniel Westoff, our super producer, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.